listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome. Thank you so much for spending some time with us as we get ready for the Thanksgiving weekend. We are going to have all kinds of tips for you, especially for those of you who are hosting. We've got turkey tips, and more importantly, if like me, you have a vegan coming to Thanksgiving dinner, I'm going to have some vegan tips for you as well. And isn't it exciting to know that when your family does show up, likely late because of the closure of the gardener this weekend, as you heard in the news, they're already going to be upset. They're already going to be irritable when they get there. Later on in the program, some tips, not only for your turkey, but for the turkeys in your family and how to avoid getting into a sticky situation. And I'm not talking about spilling gravy on your elastic waistband pants. You heard in the news that the Ontario government broke the law. Broke the law, ladies and gentlemen, when it canceled cap and trade. The sum of this entire story means nothing. Because what the court said is it broke the law. The government broke the law because it did not consult, but we'll not have to go back and reinstate the cap and trade program. Of course, cap and trade was a carbon capture scheme brought in by the liberals. And we were part of a deal with Quebec and with California, and getting out of that's going to cost us who knows how much yet. Uh, all of that developing today. We're going to have more on that on Global News, and of course, stay with us on Global News tonight at 5.30 and 6. Our Travis Danraj is working that story right now as it develops, but it really doesn't add up to a whole lot. I don't know if you're hungry. I'm hungry. Sufis has reopened. That is one of the big news stories making news today. Toronto police are continuing to investigate a complaint from the family that runs that restaurant who said they were handed over hundreds or were given or sent hundreds of threatening messages. And they've now handed that over to the Toronto Police Department. The Al-Sufis have linked those threats to a September event in Hamilton featuring the People's Party of Canada and their leader, Maxime Bernier. You may have seen the video by now. Media reports show, said that the family's eldest son were among demonstrators that blocked the path of an elderly woman with a walker who was trying to get to that Bernier event. And in the wake of that, the family received all of these threats, decided to close down, and then now another operator has stepped in, said, I'm going to operate this for you. The family is not there, but the restaurant is open. And I believe our Priya Sam has been covering this today and is on the line, and I believe right out in front of Sufis on Queen West. Are you not, Priya? Yes, I certainly am, Alan. That is a steady stream of people uh, have been coming into the restaurant since they opened their doors at 11. So lots of people coming in. What are people saying to you? Well, a lot of them are saying they're just relieved and happy that the family is doing okay, that they were able to reopen. Uh, we spoke to the owner of Paramount Fine Foods uh, a little bit earlier today, and he said, uh, Mohammed Faki said that he's happy uh, that he was able to step in and help. Uh, his company will be running the restaurant until the Al-Sufis uh, feel comfortable coming back to work here. I, and Mr. Al-Sufi, you talking yesterday in that extraordinary news conference where basically he said, you know, I, I, I thought this is not something that I wanted to do, but it was made plain to me that this is going to have an impact on other new Canadians and other new Canadian business. And it's important as a symbol to say this restaurant stays open despite these hateful messages. That's right. And that seems to be the, uh, the sentiment that continues today. We also know the Al-Sufi family has 
reached out to the woman who was involved in the incident with their son. Uh, they have invited her and her family to come to the rescue. They say their son would like to apologize in person. Uh, they would like to share their food with them. They would like to make amends. Uh, they really are trying to turn what obviously was a very challenging situation for them into something that's positive, uh, both for their family and also for the community. A lot of people, I, th- I think they were surprised by the number of people who were affected and who reached out to them after they announced they were closing. Priya Sam is a global news reporter who is covering the reopening of Sufis. Is there a, uh, a favorite dish? Is, a, is there a dish that is being ordered more often than anything else at Sufis? Uh, you know, that's interesting. A lot of people who were lined up this morning uh, were talking about the Turkish coffee. They said they like, mm-hmm. come here every morning to get their fix. Um, but the Syrian flatbreads, uh, and especially the, also the desserts were mentioned quite a few times, seem to be very popular uh, with people here. Actually, we there was a mixed information yesterday that they may have been opening at 9. So there were some people who were lined up here, uh, outside here at 9. But anyway, they ended up opening uh, at 11, so those people did come back. But it seems to be a staple in the days of a lot of people uh, who pass by here, and a lot of the other area stores as well. Uh, we, we keep talking about this as a Queen West restaurant. I think some people might not you know exactly where it is if they want to head down today. Where exactly is Sufi's? So it's right between, uh, so it's on Queen West between uh, Tecumseh and Bathurst. All right. Thank you, Priya. Appreciate you being on the program. Anytime. Thanks, Alan. So the reopening Sufis, a big story that uh, went all week long and has reverberated. And, of course, the other very big story is what is happening in Hamilton. Incredibly sad. Uh, I talked about this on the radio program yesterday. I was at a loss for words and still am, really, and I think a lot of us are, in terms of the tragedy that happened in Hamilton with the murder of a 14-year-old killed in front of his mother. Evidence showing that he had been bullied at school. Parents had tried to get the school to step in. The school said it couldn't do anything. And now there are many questions. There is first a police investigation, and along with that, an investigation or a review, at least, by the Ministry of Education into what happened. But before we get to those answers, we must mark the life of young 14-year-old Devin Selvey, and that is what people are doing in Hamilton today. And Dave Woodard is at the visitation today, or at least in Hamilton, where the visitation will take place today for Devin Selvey, and he joins us on the line, Dave Woodard. Dave, how, good to have you on the program. Good afternoon, Alan. Where are you, and, and what is expected to happen today? Oh, I'm right outside the Donald V. Brown Funeral Home in Stony Creek. Uh, this is the uh, area where they're going to have the visitation, or at least uh, the first of two visitations for Devin Selvey. Um, that will begin at about 2 o'clock this afternoon. This is a very difficult story to cover and a very difficult, uh, obviously, day for the families and for friends. Are we expecting a big turnout? Obviously, we had this big turnout at the football game last night as people came out to commemorate the life of young Mr. Selvey. Yeah, I spoke with uh, one of the funeral directors earlier this morning about, you know, what kind of crowd he's expecting. Uh, He said, that he, he doesn't have a, a, a number, but he said it's going to be a very busy day uh, to get here early. Um, obviously, it's a funeral home, so they have a, a number of different visitations. One's just letting out uh, right now. Um, so the parking lot, while it's full, um, I'm sure in the next uh, hour and a half or two hours, we're going to see a lot more cars in this area. Covering a thing like this, and I just want to take a peek behind the curtain here for people because they don't sometimes... People don't know how this works. And 
often when you're covering something like this, what the funeral directors will say, and this is always helpful for media, is they say, okay, we'll go stand over there. Uh, and then you can be respectful. And, and do we have that sort of situation here? Um, you know, it's it's not uh, not as of yet. I know uh, Sean O'Shea uh, with Global did a uh, television hit uh, a few minutes ago, and uh, he was just in front of the funeral home, and this was before uh, the last visitation kind of let out. So um, they will they won't probably allow us to go in to speak with people, although they will. Um, you know, we will be able to speak with people as they go in, which, I mean, as, as you know, Alan, is a very difficult thing uh, to have to do uh, to ask people uh, who are going in to say goodbye to a loved one and, and, and ask their, their, uh, how they're feeling. Yeah, and David, I don't, I don't make this point as to say, oh, our jobs are tough as journalists or anything like that. I, I don't mean that, obviously, right. the people who are showing up. that they, But it, it is... I think instructive for people to understand that, um, you know, some people don't want to talk, but some people find some catharsis in speaking and celebrating uh, the memory of a young man. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked a little bit earlier. I was speaking earlier with Kelly Catrera, um, and we were talking about the football game that was at Churchill Secondary last night. There were 2,000 people there. Um, and everybody from the team's, you know, quarterback to the coach to uh, different family members wanted to speak to media to let them know uh, that this family does have support and that, you know, while not everyone has gone through, um, you know, having a loved one uh, killed at the hand of a bully, uh, a lot of people can, you know, say that they have been bullied or they know people who have been bullied and, and want to know that, you know, this is, is something that needs to stop and and that uh, they're they're being very supportive. Dave Woodard is a reporter of Global News Radio and is in Stony Creek right now. It'll be a difficult weekend for that family, of course, but there will also be that support, and you can continue to hear about it here on this radio station and on Global News at 530. Dave, appreciate you being on the program. Thank you. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much. If you're getting ready for the Thanksgiving weekend, you're thinking to yourself, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle it? I got a couple of tips for you. Here's a tip for the turkey. Make a brine. Brine your bird. In a large pot, combined five and a half ounces of kosher salt, a quarter cup of sugar, two quarts of cool water, put the pot over high heat, stir occasionally until the salt and sugar dissolve. Then you put the bird in. Beautiful. Now, if you have a vegan coming to dinner, then you make yourself a roasted sweet potato kale salad with mustard dill vinaigrette. Salad! (laughs) (laughs) All right. Promised you news about Foresters. Subaru, a major recall to tell you about. Subaru is recalling vehicles because of an airbag issue. More than 350,000 Subaru Foresters with heated seats are on the recall list. The problem? An electrical connection in the front passenger seat may loosen and deactivate the airbag, even though the seat is occupied. The move affects Foresters from 2015 to 2018. The automaker will notify car owners, and dealers will inspect the front passenger seat occupant detection mat. While replacement parts are not currently available, a second recall notice will be sent when they come in. I'm Shelley Adler. 
All right, so keep your eye on that, Subaru owners. Be careful about that. Here's a way that we might be able to solve this kind of whole recall thing and not being have the parts available and all of that. 3D printing. Yes, it's the future. And if you've ever thought to yourself, you know, I'd like to own myself a boat. Well, if you get a big enough 3D printer, you can just make yourself your own boat. Oh, if they had this biggest 3D printer in Jaws. You're going to need a bigger boat. A 25-foot, 5,000-pound biggest ever 3D-printed boat has floated in the University of Maine's Ocean Simulator, which looks like a giant indoor swimming pool. The printer is 70 feet long and can gobble up 500 pounds of plastic pellets per hour and cost $2.5 million, with most of the funding provided by the U.S. Army. The boat was created in one solid piece during nonstop printing over 72 hours, costing $40,000. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News. Statistics Canada reporting the jobless rate has dipped in this country to 5.5%. That's in September's number. That's down from 5.7% in August. And the economy added 54,000 net new jobs last month. Well, that all sounds good, doesn't it? Well, then why is everybody talking about impending recession? Here's BMO's chief economist, Doug Porter, considering the data. You know, we're getting the job gains, but it's not really translating into big gains in, in spending or, or, you know, the broader economy in, in terms of overall output gains. Uh, growth is still quite modest in this country. Uh, so, we're, you know, we're not really getting uh, a whole lot of payback from, uh, from those strong uh, job gains. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the overall picture is entirely rosy. And I think that's, that reflects the sort of feeling out there. I mean, those job numbers are great, and you would think that that would help the incumbent government, but it doesn't seem to. It certainly didn't for Kathleen Wynne. The numbers, the growth numbers were great. The job numbers were great. Didn't matter a whit for Kathleen Wynne. Will it matter for Justin Trudeau? Well, today he told a cheering crowd of staff and supporters at a downtown Ottawa restaurant that uh, it's time to double on down 10 days before the election. And I know all of you here and volunteers like you right across the country, you have our backs as we step up, as we step forward, as we work together to move Canada forward! I'm breathless in a canoe. The leader took a swipe at Andrew Scheer this morning over the Conservative Party's decision to release the full costing of the platform later today. The quote, and this was a little pithy one, Trudeau saying, you don't release your best work at 6 o'clock on a Friday of a long weekend. To the NDP, Jugmeet Singh releasing his party's fully costed platform this morning. He got it out on a Friday morning of a long weekend, you see. That's when you do your best work. It calls for a deficit of $32.7 billion next year. The largest new spending include $10 billion for Pharmacare, $5 billion for building new affordable homes, $1.8 billion for ending boil water advisories in Indigenous communities. The new revenue, where would it come from? It'd come from business and from wealthy Canadians, including $8 billion from increasing the capital gains inclusion rate, $6.3 billion from increasing the corporate income tax rate, and $5.8 billion from cracking down on tax havens, and $5.6 billion from a tax on the ultra-ultra-rich. You heard about this split decision in the Ontario court where Doug Ford's government has broken the law on cap-and-trade? Well, it doesn't seem to add up to a whole lot. It's a bit of a 
you know, it, it, it's a setback for the government. But you know who we're not going to hear from about this, as we're chasing now reaction from the government, is we're not going to hear from Doug Ford. Because Doug Ford has been completely gone under the radar ever since the beginning of the election campaign. And this weekend on Focus Ontario, a fascinating discussion with two Queen's Park insiders about the strategy here and what's going on behind the scenes. We have some reporting that says that Mr. Ford is not very happy with the federal conservatives. He's not very happy with being sidelined and with being a pariah and a bit of a bit of a beating tool, a stick. A pinata, that's the thing I'm looking for. A pinata for Justin Trudeau. This weekend on Focus Ontario, my guests are Rob Benzi from the Toronto Star and Laura Storm from the Globe and Mail. And here's our conversation about Doug Ford and where is he? Welcome back to Focus. Where is Doug Ford? Andrew Scheer has been campaigning hard in Ontario. Even Alberta Premier Jason Kenney came, as he said, down east for a visit to Ontario. And nary a mention of the man who not too long ago won a resounding majority in this province. To talk more about this, I am joined by Laura Stone of Globe and Mail and Rob Benzi of the Toronto Star. Thank you so much for being on Focus. Thank you. Rob, you had a story this week that said the insiders are telling you that the Premier is angry, seething about this. Well, he's not happy to be the, the whipping boy for Justin Trudeau's Liberals, and, and Mr. Trudeau mentions Mr. Ford so much that it's almost pathological, except that Andrew Scheer, the federal conservative leader, never even says Ford's name. He said it once publicly during this campaign on September 12th in an interview in Toronto, and other than that, it's, it's, a, it's a profane four-letter F-bomb for him. He won't say the word Ford, even when campaigning 700 meters from the Premier's home in Etobicoke. It's bizarre. And, and Laura, at the, the Cabinet meeting this week, we saw Cabinet Minister is peppered with where is he how do you think the government's doing here with trying to keep him down and quiet well i think premier ford was kind of in a no-win situation here if he had come out and tried to campaign with andrew Scheer, um, the liberals would obviously have grasped onto that and tried to link them more than they already do and i agree with rob it's like a verbal tick now for prime minister okay. justin trudeau in every single appearance he talks about doug ford now he's looped jason kenny into that uh, so there was not much that that the premier could really have done differently i don't think um, and he's you know he's tried to stay out of the spotlight and then of course his government did have the win um, in avoiding a strike of teacher support workers and so I think that was that was a gift that was handed to, to Andrew Scheer in the weeks leading up to the election and let's talk about that and in the wake of the deal QP saying thanks for opening up the piggy bank Laura what do you make of that yes and I've heard that teachers are actually on, on the sidewalks chanting that now um, they're emboldened by the fact that the government did seem to give up a lot uh, in these early negotiations, and this is just one of many that Education Minister Stephen Lecce is now going to have to pursue. So obviously the timing of this was very fortuitous for the unions. They did, the, the Ontario government did not want to be in the midst of a strike heading into this federal campaign. What strikes me odd is that the provincial government gets zero credit for this deal. 
because on the conservative side, there's a lot of people saying, piggy bank, what did you do that for? And then on the other side, they say, well, you know, there's still cuts coming to classrooms. I mean, I think the conservatives get a win in the sense that it's, it, the, the uh, support workers have agreed to 1% a year for the next three years. And that's what, you know, Peter Bethan-Falvey, the Treasury Board president, has tried to uh, set that as the standard. They have legislation that they hope to pass in the fall uh, session that will make that the law of the land so that uh, you can't have a settlement in the public service greater than that. So that's a win for the government, I guess. The problem is they conceded everything else, and then you have Q saying you open the piggy bank so the hardcore conservative supporters are saying this is ridiculous what are we doing but mr ford is not an ideological neoconservative he's not a mike harris kind of character he is a populist and it, if you're going to be a populist you have to be popular and he isn't really that popular right now uh polls suggest and i'm sorry and, and yeah. we have seen this government back down repeatedly yeah. in the face of criticism and that has been one of the criticisms of of, of many conservatives saying you have to show a spine here um, when you stand up to these groups because that is why you were elected. And so it seems that they, you know, Premier Ford especially doesn't want people to be mad at him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what are we hearing from the finance minister now? Because he gave an important speech this week. Laura. Well, it's, you know, Rod Phillips is is sort of this new face of, of the finance uh, department after Vic Fideli was disposed of um, in the in the in the major cabinet shuffle that happened in the Callously spring. Too. Callously disposed of, although I see he's uh, he's they're sending him to Japan and South Korea. So all, all is good. Um, uh, I look, I think, you know, Phillips is one of their strongest performers. He's the, the face of reason in, in this government and he has a lot of credibility. So his message is that, you know, the the government is on track now to lower the deficit we're we're, we're getting in charge we're we're steering the ship now we're going to to lower the deficit to 10 billion dollars so i think that we're going to see a lot more of phillips front and center now as the government returns later in october yeah, yeah i think what laura makes a very good point there was a very serious speech that minister phillips gave in toronto on thursday it wasn't there was no mention of buck a beer there was no mention of of a carbon tax recession and there was no mention of gas pump, pump stickers it was a serious speech by a serious man at a serious time. We are almost out of time, but I want to touch on that really quickly. Lecce, uh, Phillips, uh, Wallace now in terms of... Uh, Chief of Staff. Chief of staff. Yeah. It, is this a different government than we saw a year ago? Well, I mean, I think their actions show that they are a government, not just a campaigning party on bumper sticking, bumper sticker slogans. And I think that that's probably good. The poll suggests it's good for the progressive conservative brand. Mr. Ford still trails his party, but you can certainly see a pathway back to re-election for them in 2022. I think there certainly has been a change of tone since the cabinet shuffle. I mean, the question now is who's still steering the ship, and that is Premier Ford, who has been known to be terribly unpredictable, and, you know, he's still the face of this government. So, you know, while he has some clearly very capable major players now in key portfolios, he's still going to be front and center representing the PC government. Laura Stone from the Global Mail, Rob Benzie from the Toronto Star, great to have you on Focus. Thank you so much. Thanks, Al. Casualties are increasing in Turkey as Turkey presses on with its cross-border offensive on Kurdish-held areas in northern Syria. At least 11 civilians have now died, dozens of fighters.
from the Kurdish-led SDF and pro-Turkish factions have all been killed, this according to reports. The first death of a Turkish soldier has now been confirmed by Turkey's military. The situation is very fluid, and NATO's Secretary General says he acknowledges that Turkey has legitimate security concerns, but he is urging Ankara, that is the capital of Turkey, to exercise restraint in its incursion into Syria. Jens Stoltenberg says Turkey's cross-border offensive could reverse coalition victories over the Islamic State in the region. Working together in the global coalition, we have liberated all this territory and millions of people. These gains must not be jeopardized. The uh, the European Union is strongly criticizing the Turkish president, Erdogan, for threatening to send millions of Syrian refugees to Europe if there's any backlash against his military operation in Syria. And the European Union Council chief, Donald Tusk here, saying that the 28-member bloc of the EU will not to succumb to this kind of threat or blackmail. Nor will we ever accept that refugees are weaponized and used to blackmail us. That is why I consider yesterday's threats made by President Erdogan totally out of place. That is European Union Council Chief Donald Tusk reacting to comments from the President of Turkey that Turkey will allow refugees to flood into Europe if there is any sustained criticism against Turkey's incursion into Syria. As Turkish forces push deeper into northern Syria, Kurdish soldiers are rushing to defend themselves against the growing conflict. On the ground now, near the Turkey-Syria border, we hear from reporter Deborah Haynes. The latest figures from Turkish officials are that some 277 Kurdish militias have been killed. Um, The Syrian Democratic Forces, which is the name for this Kurdish-led militia, put the number much lower. But what is for sure is that that this conflict is not over yet. As for Canada, Canada has denounced the invasion but has not really done much to ease the burden on the Kurds by repatriating any of the roughly 40 Canadians who are being held in an ISIS detainee camp. That's according to Kurdish authorities. Stuart Bell is a Global News National online journalist and has been covering this and has been to Syria and joins me on the line. Hi, Stuart. Hello. How desperate is the situation for the Kurds and for those fighters? Well, you know, the Kurds were already overwhelmed. Uh, we uh, relied on them to defeat ISIS for us, and then we, we relied on them to contain ISIS by um, you know, keeping the prisoners we didn't want home uh, in prisons there in, in northern Syria. And so they were already stretched uh, just trying to deal with uh, that, and now um, they've been tasked to defend uh, an invasion on the northern border, which has stretched them uh, even thinner. So it's yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous situation, not only for the Kurds and their aspirations, but for global security as well. When you think of the possibilities um, of uh, ISIS taking advantage of uh, the chaos of this conflict to try and escape and regroup. In fact, there were just five ISIS members who reportedly escaped uh, this morning from uh, a prison 
that was uh, taking advantage of a sort of a shelling situation that allowed them to get out. So it's uh, there's a lot of risk involved in this operation, and uh, it's very hard to figure out what the benefit really is. About a dozen and a half Canadians and their two dozen children are being detained by Kurdish forces. What do we know about their location and what happens to them during this Turkish uh, attack? The Canadians are scattered in camps and prisons throughout the northeast. Um, most of them are at a place called Al Howell Camp, which is the massive camp for families, women and children. Uh, but there's also some that are further north um, at a camp called Roge Camp, which is within that uh, safe zone that Turkey is hoping to take over. So there's a lot of questions about what will happen to those detainees if uh, the Turkish military takes over those camps. Um, you know, what? It's, it's completely unknown how they will deal with that. Uh, Donald Trump has said that the Turks will take responsibility for the prisons uh, in the areas that they capture, but um, nobody really knows what's going to happen to them. Uh, so it's it's very unstable at this point. There's a lot of worry, um, in particular about escapes, as I said. ISIS was already calling for attacks on the women's camps to free the women, and you can only imagine that they will try to exploit the situation to try and do just that. Stuart Bell is a Global News National online journalist, and you can read his work on globalnews.ca. Kurdish forces struggle to contain the world's unwanted ISIS prisoners in Syria is his story. Thank you so much for being on the program, Stuart. Thank you. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for spending some time on the beginning of this Thanksgiving long weekend. I don't know if you're excited about that, if you feel some trepidation. We are, in a couple of moments, going to talk about some survival tips to get through the Thanksgiving long weekend, especially when there is so much politics to talk about as we're in a federal election campaign. But before we get to that, my regular Friday guest, Mira Estrada, is here. She is the host of Cultured right here on Global News Radio, Saturdays at 8 p.m. Always great to see you, Mira. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. So much to talk about this week. Can we talk about Rihanna a little bit? I want to talk about Rihanna and the NFL and Super Bowl. The fact that she basically said to the NFL, nah, I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Um, but can I just say something first? Yes. This Vogue cover was history-making because she is the only black woman to cover six co- Vogue covers. So she's so got... She. Ju- I just want to Do you get a ring there. for that? Like, did you get a Vogue That's ring? That's like her Super Bowl ring. Like, she's... Yeah. Phenol- like, she has done so many crazy things, so I just wanted to put that up. Okay, so she's first. on Vogue. She's on the cover of Vogue. Cover again. of Vogue. Six times. Six, six Pete. Okay. Yeah, six p. Okay, so now let's get to the Super Bowl part of it. Yeah, so th- what she said is, uh, she's like, I wouldn't dare do that for what? Who gains from that? Not my people. I just couldn't be a sellout. And okay, Jay Z, listen up, Jay Z, who has done a huge deal with the NFL, and people have raised so many eyebrows. Like, why is that? That so, but then again, so this interview though happened in August. Oh. I see. So maybe not a smackdown then. Yeah, oh. and then she's also, you know, she's on Jay Z's um label, so 
I don't know. And I think she was also, this was in reference to last year because last year she turned it down and that's when, oh my God, Maroon 5. Is it Maroon 5? Yeah. I, I can't. Yeah. yeah. So they're the ones that stepped up, but I think it's a touchy situation. But I mean, Rihanna is very straightforward and she tells it like it is. is. And this is clearly how she feels about the Super Bowl and the NFL. J-Lo and Shakira, of course, the halftime performers this year. Let's talk about Drake and his dad. I love me some Drizzy and... Drake, Drake raps quite a bit about being kind of abandoned by his dad. He there's is that, in his feelings about his father. There's that great line about, I was getting ready, you know, for my dad, and he never show up. I had to grow up. And then yeah. Drake's dad says, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, so Dennis Graham, his father, he was on Nick Cannon's Close Conversations radio show. And so, you know, he said that's not the truth. Uh, uh his father and mother split up when he was five years old. He said, I was always there. I talked to him every day, if not every other day. And, you know, he's just saying this to sell records. Drake was quite upset about this. He posted um, something on Instagram, a lengthy post saying, you know, woke up today, such a hurt man. My dad will say anything. Families like this. Well, what are we going to do? Um, and, you know, sometimes the truth is a truth that's hard for people to accept. Um Twitter, a lot of Twitter backed Drake in this and saying, you know, this man still owes child support from 1991. Who are you going to believe, Drake or his father? Um, there was a lot of negative commentary about his father going on air. Yeah, that is going to be an awkward airing, Thanksgiving up laundry. there on the bridal path. It's going to be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> awkward at Drizzy's house this weekend. Before we get to more Thanksgiving, can we talk the NBA and China? If you listen to this program, you know I am I'm really interested in this in the extension of soft power from China mm-hmm. right onto the floor of the NBA and saying this is what you can and cannot say if you want to do business with China. But what's your perspective on it all? Yeah, so are you referring to when they pulled the, well, the mic right away from the, that yeah, CNN reporter. This is I mean, it, and they've, they've basically said, look, we're not going to partner with the Rockets. We're going to punish economically the NBA. And the mm-hmm. NBA, you, Adam Silver, to his credit, the commissioner, has said, listen, I defend the general manager of the Houston Rockets' ability to say pro-democracy, you know, support the pro-democracy or supporters or uh, demonstrators in Hong Kong. But obviously it's clear they have upset China. The authorities in China, not happy. Yes, uh, I don't know. It's I I feel for the player the players are put in very awkward situations here too, right? Like Yeah. And we've seen that. James Harden having to answer questions. Exactly. And I feel like they're not I don't think anybody was prepared for this, like going into this, right? <laughs> wait, what? wait a minute. I play basketball. Why am I asking questions about geopolitics? All right. Thanks, Mira. I appreciate that. We do. Want, I want to move on because I want to bring in. Stay with us here, Mira. Yes. Mira, by the way, I, I'll, I'll mention again, is the host of Cultured, which runs Saturdays at 8 p.m. on this radio station. Uh, and let's bring in Laura Hensley, who is our global news national online journalist and a regular on this program as well. Always great to see you. Hi, are you ready for Thanksgiving? I am ready. I'm ready to eat. You're ready to eat. Do yes. you have your elastic waistband pants ready? <laughs> Leggings all the way, Leggings. yes. <laughs> yeah. I go with a good jegging uh, myself. Um, <laughs> what, you, you're working on a piece on how to survive all of this. Yes, so... 
you know, political conversations can get heated at the best of times, but in the middle of an election and Thanksgiving, they can get even more spicy. So I spoke to some experts about how to navigate those tricky conversations at Thanksgiving. Now, Mira, is this something that you you challenge for you and your family? Does oh, yes, politics come up? Our family is so political as Uh-oh. it is. Like, even forget about Thanksgiving, any get-together, it's it. like, yeah. So what do the experts say, well, Laura? Okay, you want to hear my advice or their advice. So first thing is do not get heated. It is so easy when any conversation, when you think someone's saying something that's totally wrong or you don't agree with, your reaction is to get animated. You know, you want to tell them they're wrong, but do not get heated. Come from a place of curiosity. So if someone says something that you don't agree with, you know, it's best to say, why do you think that? Can you explain that to me instead of calling them a tool? You know, right. you don't want to name call. Right. You are an intolerant racist past <laughs> the gravy. Uh, that can be troublesome. That can be tr- Now, when the words or the topic turns to politics at Thanksgiving, Mira, is there a divide? Is there a generational divide? You know, like sometimes mom and dad are one way, sometimes the kids the other way. Does that happen in your family? No, it's not generational. It's. See, I'm going to get heated already. Be like, some some people are just stupid. They're just dumb. <laughs> Pass the turnips. What else you got for us, Laura? Well, you know, even if you think someone's dumb, uh, a good tactic is to use evidence, not emotion. So if you're debating something, come armed to Thanksgiving dinner Do I have to with bring some a evidence. Binder with me? Come with bring- a shield. You know, if you're going to be fighting about something, at least have some stats or some information or research to back it up. And that hopefully means that you're coming from a place that's not heated, not emotional. You're saying, oh, have you thought about looking at this? And the person might be more open to changing their mind. We are almost at a time. Those are some great, that's some great advice. But before we go, I believe that every single family has this. Every family has that weird thing that is on the Thanksgiving table, that it's not Thanksgiving without it. But it's weird, and you'd never have it any time other time of the year. I'll start with what mine is. In my family, it's a weird aspic salad. It's one of those Jello salads, and it has you stole mine. Well, I'd, I'll let you do because there's many kinds of aspic salads. Okay. Mine comes with mandarin orange slices, canned, and little baby uh, white marshmallows. I don't understand what it is, but it's not Thanksgiving. Okay, so you're on your own. Go. (laughs) What do you got? Mine is called green salad. Shout out to Auntie Anne. It is crushed pineapple with green Mm. jello. Yeah, green. It's got to be green. It has to be green and cottage cheese. Wow. It sounds disgusting, but it is the best thing on earth. Take us home. Laura. I don't have anything that compares with either of those two meals, but we usually have bacon wrapped Brussels sprouts, which are delicious. It's really the only way to eat Brussels sprouts. Really? Yeah. If you're going to have a Brussels sprout, I'm all for that. Apologies to our vegans who are on their way over. Thank you so much, Laura Hensley from Global News Online in Mira Estrada, who is the host of Culture. I appreciate you being on the program. Thank you for joining us. 